Welcome back to 10,000 No's. If you tuned in to last episode, you know that we are on our holiday hiatus, so we're doing things slightly differently for the next few weeks in repurposing some old interviews. And today we are actually reposting an interview that I did with Brian Levinson on his podcast called Intentional Performers. I was introduced to Brian through past guest Jake Thompson from Compete Every Day. And Brian was really thoughtful, asked some really great questions, and I was happy with how the interview came out. And so while I'm writing this book, we are giving you old material, and this is one of the things I wanted to do, is uh, just give you a great interview and hopefully turn you on to Brian's podcast. I think he's doing a great job with it. He has a sports psychologist uh, background, and he talks to people about that are in the field of performance, whether athletes or an actor like myself, other areas as well, and uh, just really great questions. So go check him out. I will put the link to his podcast in the show notes. And I wanted to mention one other thing, actually two other things. Uh, the one is just remember that we have the apparel at 10,000nos.com slash store. If you want to get t-shirts or hats for your friends, if you've been listening to this podcast, we've got great 10,000 nose gear. The t-shirts have failure is opportunity along the back and we have the logo for the show and it all supports the show. So we appreciate that. And the other thing is just a, an announcement and I'll say it again in the next couple of weeks, uh, January 7th, the film that I did a few years ago, this independent film, uh, very indie, not the way they say indie and it's a $10 million film. This was really indie. It was called Limerence. Um, uh, Tammy Minoff wrote it and directed it. I actually helped her with uh, rewrites for a long time and came on as um, one of the producers, you know, kind of a minor producer and played uh, the male lead. Really proud of that film and it will be available on all platforms January 7th, 2020. It's available for pre-order right now on iTunes. I think it's about 12 bucks. I think they'll do flash sales on certain days. If you follow me on social media, you might be able to get it for 50% off. But from what I understand, if the more pre-orders that they get on iTunes prior to January 7th, 2020, uh, the more visibility the film will get. And this was one of those ones I'm, I'm really proud of and would love to get the word out. So if you're looking for a romantic comedy slash dramedy to watch over uh, in January, please check this out over the holidays and uh, go pre-order it. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And for now, I hope you enjoy this interview that I did with Brian Levinson. Here it is. And during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. 
thing you got to remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. So if this is your first time here, welcome. I work as a mental performance coach and an executive coach during the day. I love the work that I do. I get to have intimate and deep conversations with my clients that range from athletes to CEOs. And I get to work with organizations that range from sports teams and athletic departments to corporations and companies. And I I get to help people unlock their best self, their potential, see new possibilities. And this podcast aims to do something similar. So we have these conversations with all kinds of performers to find out how they are intentionally setting their mind. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, and I know you will, please go over to iTunes and write us a review, give us a rating, hopefully it's a good one, and share this conversation. Share it on social media. We live in a very connected world. This conversation today, you'll find out how small the world is. And the more that we can share these conversations, I think the more we can rise and make an impact with each other. So thank you for being here and and please share this conversation on social. Now to today's guest, Matthew Del Negro was connected to me by Jake Thompson, who was a past podcast guest. And Jake said, Brian, you're going to love talking to Matthew. He is an actor and he's built an impressive career by playing a wide range of roles and features both on TV and in the theater. Uh, He's worked on TV shows such as Scandal or The Sopranos or The West Wing, shows that you've certainly heard of, some of the best shows of all time, and also on Showtime's The United States of Terra. MTV's popular Teen Wolf, and now he's on a show called Goliath on Amazon Prime, which is also with Billy Bob Thornton. I could go on and on about his resume from an acting standpoint, but what I really love about Matthew is that he's a philosopher at heart. He's a deep thinker, and he's going to talk about how he's been reflective throughout his life and how it's led him to this journey of acting. He's also a podcast host, so his podcast, 10,000 Knows, has all kinds of incredible guests. I highly recommend you check it out, including Jake, who we mentioned earlier. And Matthew's really on a journey. He, he's really trying to find out how he can be a great actor and also how he can be great in other areas of his life. So he is obsessed with this idea of adversity and getting told no. And he's really trying to learn how others have developed a relationship with adversity and learned how to turn failure or no's into opportunities. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you Matthew Del Negro. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We got connected by Jake Thompson, uh, and Jake has a podcast and is just a marketing wizard and uh, an energetic human being. And I think energetic is probably not the right word. It's not giving him enough credit for his energy. And I think 
I said, hey, you should talk to this person for your podcast. He said, I think you should talk to this person. And I think the first person he mentioned was you. He said, I think you'd love chatting with Matthew. So I'm glad he connected us because last time we chatted on the phone, you were on your way down to San Diego. And I'd love to hear about what that experience was like. Um, And we chatted for 15, maybe 20 minutes. And I felt like we could have chatted for hours. So we're not going to chat for hours today, but we're going to go a little deeper than we did in a phone call. Uh, So tell everyone what you were doing down in San Diego. I think that'd be like a really cool place to start. Uh, Give everyone some background on on that. Cool. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, Pleasure to be here. And I I enjoyed our conversation as well. And uh, yeah, I was going down to San Diego to interview former Navy SEAL Jason Redman, um, who actually that will be released tomorrow, uh, September 13th, which is the anniversary of the day that he almost lost his life uh, in Iraq. It was a really intense interview and it ended up being personal for me because what I found out after being linked up to uh, Jason was that I have I have a couple of friends that were Navy SEALs um, and one of which was as a childhood friend and I just threw his name out and he's like, oh dude, he was in my platoon. And actually one of the stories he tells me during our uh, our conversation, he's talking about being in the valley and he sent Josh down the valley and I'm like, that's Josh that I grew up with that I used to play manhunt with in the woods. Now I'm no Navy SEAL, but uh, you know, it was wild to hear him talking about a childhood friend. And then my other buddy who was a college friend is a former SEAL and now a trauma surgeon. And he actually worked on Jason after he was shot up when he was back in Bethesda uh, in the hospital there. So it was, it was uh, pretty cool because I didn't know that when I was, it's not, that's not how I got to him. I got to him through a former guest on my podcast, who's an entrepreneur. This guy, Bedros Koulian had just set us up because he thought we would uh, kind of dig each other the way Jake set you and I up. Um, so anyway, that, I went down there, interviewed him and there was a conference down there that Bedros and another former guest, uh, um, Oh my God, Craig Ballantyne. Sorry, um, I just had like a little uh, a little lapse in memory. Uh, Craig Ballantyne, who has become a friend as well, although you wouldn't know it when I'm uh, having a, a memory lapse on his his name. Um, they put on this thing called the Empire Business Summit, and it's a bunch of entrepreneurs come down there. They have these incredible speakers, and um, it, you know, it's just a chance to see a bunch of people that I've now become friends with through this podcast, it's kind of ridiculous how the network has, has uh, expanded um, as a result of just sitting down and talking to people. You know? It's awesome. And I think about how small the world is because I am literally looking at the hospital. If you look out my window over my left shoulder, uh, that's the hospital that they did the surgery at, Walter Reed uh, in Bethesda. Uh, so when you say wow. they're in a hospital in Bethesda, that's where they go. Walter Reed uh, is over my wow. left, left shoulder, my office, you can see. You can see this tower in the distance and it's, it's Walter Reed. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the other part, before we even fired up the mic, we were talking about podcasts and I was telling you, oh, there's this amazing podcast producer in Los Angeles and you go, Vic. And so we'll give Vic Singh a shout out because uh, yeah. you've been on his podcast. And so it is amazing how the world just continues to shrink uh, as it continues to also expand. Um, and it's, it's an amazing thing. And where I'd love to start with you is to, to drill down a little bit into your childhood and what life was like for you growing up and just allow that to, to paint the picture for your life and set the table uh, for your life. 
And I know you mentioned playing Manhunt, uh, but I don't really know anything else. So what was life like for you as a kid? Where'd you grow up? What was your family like? Give us a little uh, context. Yeah, I'm the youngest of three kids. I uh, grew up in Westchester County, New York, about an hour north of New York City. Uh, but when you say New York City or you say New York, people think of, you know, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Manhattan. And really where I grew up, like I said, I was playing manhunt in the woods. It was very rural. It was almost country bumpkin rural. Um, so that guy, Josh, who went on to be a SEAL, uh, you know, yeah, we were playing manhunt. The other guy was my friend who lived across the street who ended up playing in the NFL for a little while, Abram Smith. Uh, so it was this kind of, you know, it's funny as I've gotten older and I've looked back at some of the people that I've, I've uh, grown up with and what they went on to do. And you go, wow, that, what was in the water back then? Um, what, was was in, real- what was in the water? Like, that's pretty fascinating. You just mentioned your your, and we'll get to what you do, but one friend goes on to be a Navy SEAL and then become a surgeon, which I'm always amazed at special ops guys. Like that's their first act. And, and then their second act, I'm always curious, like what's their second act? Cause it's so wide ranging. Uh, yeah. But then another guy being going to the NFL, what, what do you think was in? Well, the, the, the guy that went on, the guy that was a SEAL who went on to be a trauma surgeon, he's a college friend. So he's actually from Bethesda where you are. There you um, go. He went to Georgetown prep. But the other guys, yeah, grew up with, uh, I don't know what's in the water. You you know, one thing I've said before about growing up where I did is that it was very quiet and there was a lot of space. And I I don't know. I mention that only to say that I think I'm a thinker. Um, It was a very contemplative place to be. You know, it was a lot of nature. Um, There was just... It's like you go out over the summers. I mean, you know, now I've got two kids and it's it's so different for them than it was for me. It's like you'd go out in the morning and, you know, maybe you'd come back and grab some food or maybe you'd be at friends or or those two guys, we would take our bikes and ride like five miles to the Salem market and grab a pack of gum or whatever it was just to go on an adventure and be chased by dogs as we were riding our bikes and stuff. Like it was my mom, we'd play basketball or football in the neighborhood on someone's yard and, or someone's driveway. And my mom would literally come out with like a cowbell and ring a cowbell when it was time to eat. It was like very, um, very country. So I don't know if that maybe, you know, I can't say that that led to me being an actor because my brother's in finance, my sister's in education. It's just not like, you know, but but for me, it just, I think it led to uh, just kind of having a philosophical outlook on things uh, in some way. And then, you know, I played sports, um, had nothing to do with the arts uh, early on. Um, I played, you know, I kind of played everything. And I really... I love sports. I was kind of obsessed with them, but I really wasn't that good. I was okay. And I ended up going on and and having an okay career as an athlete. Um, But not really, I wasn't fast, particularly fast. I was always really skinny and I wasn't particularly strong, you know, which is not a great combo. Um, But uh, I loved I love the game. I love learning. I think I'm a hustler. Um, and that really contributed to a lot. And I really think that I learned so many lessons playing sports that have translated into my career as an actor. Um, what, what were those lessons? 
you know, being, uh, having your team depend on you, discipline, uh, the mental game of performance, which um, there, <clears throat> there are a lot of, you know, as you end up becoming an actor, you, you realize a lot of athletes end up becoming actors. And there's a reason. I think there's a performance element to it uh, that's similar. But there's also the same, you know, when you go do a film or a TV show, it's like you're on a team, you know, and you're relying on people and you have your role and they have their role as you had your position and they had their position. And so you need to know your position, but you also have to know a little bit of what everybody else is doing. And I always felt like I was um, pretty attentive to the game. I mean, particularly, I think football, I loved really loved football. And, you know, I wish I was, I, I was, I was a quarterback early on, but then I was like a tight end defensive end. And then I was, believe it or not, offensive tackle and defensive end. I had big shoulder pads and skinny legs coming out the bottom, but I was quick off the ball. I knew my assignments, but I always wanted to be, you know, a tailback and an inside linebacker, but I didn't have the body type and I didn't have the speed and I wasn't, but, but I learned, I think I learned to uh, get the most out of what I had to offer. And I think that's helped me in my career. And I kind of think that's almost what my whole podcast is about. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you make the best of, of failure or adversity or being told no? How do you, how do you turn it on its head? Did that come from your upbringing? Did, did, were those values passed down the ability to turn nose into yeses or, or to sit with the nose? Where do you think that came from? Totally. I mean, I mean, that comes from grandparents, parents, coaches, siblings, like everybody around me. I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, my, my dad, so my mom is a retired special ed teacher. My dad is 82, just closed his practice. He's an attorney. Um, but really he should have been like a, a professor or even kind of a coach, although not sports. He was not an athlete at all himself. Um, so he didn't know sports, but he was very, very supportive of my sister, my brother and I would always be there. And both my parents always at all the games, like a lot of support and encouragement. But my dad really, I mean, he used to, he like forgets half of this stuff. Like I've said, actually on the website, it says 10,000 no's. It says failure is opportunity. That's because my dad used to say failure is just opportunity in disguise. And he'd always say like, you know, I don't know, I don't know the football field, but I know the courtroom and winning is winning and it starts in your mind and it goes to your heart, goes out to the field and stuff like that. And so when I went to do, I was making t-shirts for my podcast and I was putting failure is opportunity, just opportunity in disguise. I'm like, it doesn't fit very well on a t-shirt. So I said it to my brother and he's like, what about just failures opportunities? So that fits nicely along the shoulders. So that, that comes, you know, I just, that's where I've gotten it from. And I've been really lucky with like good coaches and just good people around me. And, you know, my, my sister's five years older and she was kind of, that's enough when you're that age that it seems like she's in a whole other world. But we had a relationship where, you know, when I went to Italy in college, she gave me a journal, that journal ended up really, kind of saving me and then veering me from lacrosse to acting. And then my brother 
he's three years older, we shared a room and he was like the typical older brother beating on me, like, you know, pushing me, challenging me, like, you know, you're weak, you're not good enough, that kind of thing. And we, I think that had a lot to do with my hunger as well. Um, you mentioned, just, you, you know. mentioned, you mentioned lacrosse in there and you hadn't mentioned lacrosse up until that point. When did lacrosse come into your life? Uh, seventh grade. So when I grew up, the first sports I was able to play, it was uh, first grade. I played hockey and soccer, never played them again. Was not good at soccer, got put in the goal, played hockey. I just remember having a big helmet and face mask and like my ankles turning in and like it was miserable. Second grade, you could start playing baseball. I loved baseball. Third grade, you could start playing uh, basketball. I loved that. Although it wasn't, you know, so great. I was okay. Ended up making all-star teams, but was my, my sports career, I'm not being humble. Like I kind of would make all-star teams, but I would eke onto them. I think people liked me or they like, like I, I represented, like, I wouldn't say Rudy, but I was a little bit like, you know, I was, I, I was a good role player, but there are always great athletes around me. Uh, and then football, you couldn't start playing until fourth grade. And lacrosse you couldn't start playing till seventh grade so in seventh grade I gave up baseball which I had loved and took up lacrosse and my area was a pretty big hotbed for lacrosse lacrosse so a bunch of us played in college and I was lucky enough to go play d1 at Boston College when it was still d1 um, it has since been moved to club because of title nine and in, in 2000 which is you know a shame but um yeah, that was it. So seventh grade, I started. And um, and the decision to go to Boston College and, and play sports at a Division One level, what was that like for you? Um, well, I didn't want to go to BC. I didn't even want to apply to BC. My brother went there. He's three years ahead of me. And he still makes fun of me to this day because I went up there with a friend of mine when I was like a junior in high school. And he's like, it was the most amazing BC weekend. We went to like a basketball game, a hockey game, there were parties. And like, I just remember freezing. And I was kind of like, nobody believes this now, but I was kind of shy and um, definitely shy around older people. And, I, and we went and he's like, I mean, literally, I remember being at a party and talking to a girl who was, you know, his, so he, I was like a junior. So say he was maybe a, I don't know if he was a junior or sophomore in college. And um, we're at some party and I'm talking to this girl who's older and whatever. And at one point she's like, Oh my God, you're wearing a retainer. <laughs> I was like, what was I thinking? I wore a retainer to a college party with my brother's like, you are a loser. <laughs> so I didn't want to go to BC. I, I was like, it's freezing cold. I don't want to go. And then my dad, who never pushes anything, was like, why don't you do the application? I was like, I don't want to go there. And I was applying to like Duke and UVA and Georgetown and UVM, which is freezing cold too, um, but for some reason seemed different. Um, and he's like, just do the application for me. So I did it begrudgingly and ended up, that's where, by the time it came around, I went to UVM's orientation weekend and it was like before my senior prom just wasn't ready. And I was like, I'm not spending four years of my life here. It's too rural. I grew up rural. I don't want to do it. I'm going to BC. And I was only waitlisted at the time and ended up getting in and um, 
the coach knew I was coming, but I still had to try out. Like it wasn't like I had a scholarship. Right? So I was, I guess technically a walk on, but we kind of all were. And um, that was it. And that was, that was great. That was, that was a lot of fun. Did you play all four years? You mentioned going to Italy, so I'm not sure if you... No, so ironically, I wanted to go abroad junior year. Most people go spring of junior year, and I wanted to go... Some guys, upperclassmen, had gone to Australia, and that sounded great, but then I realized they went in the spring of junior year. I would have missed a lacrosse season, so instead I went to Italy between sophomore and junior year, and while there, I was going out with a girl from BC who was also studying in Florence. I was in Perugia, which is a small town, like two hours away. Long story short, broke up on the trip, had like a midlife crisis at age 19 going on 20. My sister had given me that journal. I stopped going to the classes over there. I filled the journal. I was writing like eight hours a day. I was having like really like a breakdown, breakthrough kind of moment. It was like I had been on a track and at BC, freshman and sophomore year were great, but it's like I had a nickname, I had a persona, I had all this stuff. And I was like, it didn't feel like it was me anymore. It felt like I was like playing a role. And I just, you know, that Joseph Campbell says you have a, a call, you know, like the, the, if you look at study storytelling or screenwriting, they always talk about the, you know, at, at like the 12th minute, there's that, or whenever it is, there's that call to action or the hero's call or whatever it is. And I just had this call from within. It was like, you can't, you can't keep going like you're going, you got to do something else. And I didn't know if it was going to be a, a writer, an actor. I was just totally scared shitless to be honest with you. Cause I had no idea how that would, I was like, what, what is this? But something inside me was like, you can't keep going. And um, ended up coming back, played fall ball, just kind of fell back into the, the, the rote schedule. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was so much wrapped up in it identity wise at the time. And um, the end of fall ball, we were running around Shea field for practice. And I had a thought of shit. I wish I just roll my ankle. I just don't want to be here. And I was like, this is crazy. And I went into the coach. I said, I'm done. He said, think about it. You have a slot on the team. I said, I've thought about it. I'm done. Uh, had a mini freak out after that. Like, what have I done? And then ended up my roommate who had never done a play, went out for a play. We both were like, let's go out, go out and, and, you know, try to act, which was like, you know, 180 degrees from being a lacrosse player. Was, was that his idea or was that both your ideas? I or? had the idea. I look back to that first journal and I said something like, maybe I'll be an actor. Maybe I'll be a writer. I think writer more so than actor. And, um, did you have a major at the time? I was an English major, but so I went there. I, I always, from hearing my dad talk about the law, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. I like the way he talked about the law. Now my view of acting is similar to how he talked about the law. He would talk about defending clients. He would talk about defending clients. You had to get behind them. And that's how I look at my characters. I have to get under their skin and defend their point of view to the world. So it's not so different. But I ended up wanting to do something that was more fully immersive. I used my physicality, psychology, um, you know, analytical mind, um, social. I just wanted something that, that cost everything. And um, I was a psych major at first when I got there because I, I liked getting into these kinds of conversations. I was like, oh, I guess psychology. Took like one psychology class in a lecture hall and I was like, this 
blows. Like all they're doing is putting labels on all the stuff that I intrinsically know. I don't want to do this. So almost by default, I became an English major. Then I had this like, you know, moment in Italy. And then I'm talking about being a writer. I'm like, oh, perfect. Now I look back and I go, English major was the perfect training ground for an actor because it's all about analyzing literature and you're analyzing it from a more cerebral place, but it's still a lot of the same muscles that I use as an actor today. So I ended up getting a film studies minor. I started taking a bunch of classes and, um, oh, so I, oh, so my, my buddy went out for play, got the lead. I didn't get anything. This is on campus on like on a campus. school play? His was, yeah. His was like, wasn't even the main theater. His was like upper campus and some house. And then I didn't get anything. Then a month later I went in for something else and I got the lead of this little one act play, but it was, it was in a lecture hall. I mean, it wasn't even, and ironically, BC is flying me there next week to go speak in a lecture hall. I'm like, holy crap, is this going to be like the same one where I I started my illustrious career? Um, But it was, I did it. It was only two night performance. And I was just like, boom, I'm done. I'm going to be an actor. And I told everybody I was going to be an actor. And half of them looked at me like, what? And half of them were like, yeah, that makes sense. And half of them were, you know, whatever. A portion of them were like, uh, you, you know, I think humored me like, oh, cool, cool, cool. But I was just like, done. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Can you go back to that moment after those two days? And can you actually go into the body and explain what it felt like to, to be a part of that process? Um, the whole experience, it's weird that that whole experience, I ran into one of the actresses from that play out here a couple of years ago. And it was almost like I didn't even, I knew who she was, but it was like, I, that whole play is like blurry in my mind. Like the people that were involved, I just remembered loving it. I remembered going like, you know, like this, this feels right. It, and I've always been pretty instinctual. I've always followed my gut whether it's in finding the apartment that I found in Manhattan or places to live out here or big decisions. I've always followed my gut. And a lot of times those gut feelings were in the face of logic that would tell me to do otherwise. And I've usually chosen the path that was (laughs) like, what are you doing, man? Like, what, you know, um, but something about that experience and then uh, it just felt right. You know, I, I think about a lawyer and a lawyer has to follow logic and, but they also have to make arguments and, you know, defend and all those things. What was dad's reaction when you told him that you were, you were going to go down this path? Uh, like I said, my parents, I'm very lucky. They're very supportive. They, well, when I did the play, he always says they came up and, and saw the play. And he always says, he's like, I was, you know, came up there. I go into this theater. It's not even a theater. And he said, I'm sitting down going like, oh my God, is my, my son has never acted before. Is he going to like fall on his face? Like what? Is, he was like nervous for me. And then I came out and did it. And he was like, oh, it was, it was, it was okay. And um, when I eventually said, I'm going to be an actor, they basically said, that's great. We support you spiritually, philosophically, 
but not financially. You're on your own. And that was, you know, so I went and I bartended. I had bartended in college. And so I did that in New York. I went home after graduation in 1994, spring of 94. I worked for Mason that summer. We laid patios. Uh, I did a play, a musical in Connecticut, Wilton, Connecticut, one of the neighboring towns. Um, loved it. Uh, met this girl that got me a job waiting tables. I'd never waited tables. I'd only bartended. So I waited tables in Stamford, Connecticut. Started taking classes in New York City two nights a week. I'd take the train down, come back. Saved up enough money. I was living at home. And then I moved into the city January 1st of 1995. And um, yeah. And, and was the vision then to be on Broadway? Was the vision to be on TV? Was the vision to be in the movies? What was the vision as you were like in your early 20s? I think if I were being honest with myself, the, the vision was probably movies, you know? It's like, you, you grow up, you're a kid my age. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly how old you are, but I think we're roughly the same. I was talking to some friends recently. We were at a party out here, another dad who I'm friends with, and the the mother, the woman who had the, the host of the party was saying something about Tom Cruise. And she's like, I don't like Tom. You know, Tom Cruise isn't a good actor. I'm like, oh, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, I'm like, he's a better actor than people think. And then she's like, well, what has he done? And we're like, what? And we start, you know, we start, we're like top gun, you know, risky bit. And she's like, what? And she hadn't seen. And we're like, how like this guy was the movie star growing up, you know? So I think without knowing it, probably, I think I was probably like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Tom Cruise. But I always said, I want to go to New York because I want to get real training on stage because I think that way you're going to have more of a foundation. And my college roommate, the other guy who had gone out for the play was from Minnesota uh, outside of Minneapolis. And that was a theater scene there. So at one point I considered that. And then I was like, no, New York makes sense. I'm from there. And I figured I'll go to New York, I'll get training, and then something will bring me out to LA. And eventually I'll be out there. Is your friend from Minneapolis still acting? No. no. And so, so you guys go out for the same play and he gets the role and you don't, right? Uh, I'm curious, did you feel like this was something that you were naturally gifted at? Or is this something, as you look at the actor that you were on campus at BC then, you look at the actor that you are today, give me like the the transitions or the changes that have occurred since then. I would say when I did that play, I had a very similar experience as the first interview I did with my podcast where I called my sister and I was like, I feel like I'm, I was born to do this. And that's what I felt like when I did that play, it all seemed weird at the time. But when I look back in retrospect, the guy that I wrote my application for, I wrote an essay about a guy who had a big influence on me growing up. He was a guy from my town who had a youth group in my town. Pat Collins, still friends with him to this day. He's an actor. That's interesting. The youth group, my podcast is like a modern day youth group. So that's interesting. Now, in retrospect, I also look back and I go, when I was in third grade, I did this camp, summer camp, for like a week or something at, at my elementary school. And there was like a variety show or something. And I didn't know anything. I think I was third. No, maybe I was fifth grade. I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything you know, but we had this part where we had to get up and dance. It was like the whole group had to do a dance. And my mom somehow, this is like not typical, but she had taken me for some reason, 
seems like bad parenting now, but she had taken me to see Saturday Night uh, Fever in the theater. I remember going to see it with her and it being like really like a visceral reaction. Like it's kind of a heavy movie if you think back to it. But John Travolta does this dance, you know? And I didn't like that at the time, I didn't know anything else. So they're like, you know, everybody just do a dance. So I started doing that dance and they like moved me to the front and center of the thing. And it was like one of these moments that I kind of forgot about, but for a brief like two day period, like older girls were coming to me. Like it was like, I was like the hit of this little tiny little thing, but I, it was like something happened that I, like as, as quickly as it came, it went away. I forgot about it. But now I look back and I go, Oh, that's interesting. Also, I played a little piano and sang growing up. I played a little guitar and sang and, and you know, in college. So it, it kind of, it's not so, it's not so weird, but at the time it was like lacrosse player to theater seems like a weird jump. You know, you, me- you mentioned trusting your gut and that when you, you feel something, you, you tend to go with it. Do you have any religious framework that either supports that or goes against that or, or don't have a religious framework? I'm just curious to unpack that a little more. Little yeah. Bit more. I mean, I was raised Roman Catholic, um, you know, was really fully, very, very much like, you know, churchgoer every week. My family would go every Sunday. Then we had this youth group with this guy, Pat Collins, which was great because he was like a spiritual, but it was like, it was a little outside the church because sometimes the church would feel like, you know, um, obligatory. He would take those lessons, but it would also be, because he was in the seminary when he was younger, then he got out, got married and, and became an actor but he still had like, so I always thought it was like the best parts of it. You know, it was like the spiritual part. So, I, and then I went to a Jesuit college, ironically kind of stopped, I kind of dropped off of church. And then throughout my, throughout my adult years, I've had periods when I've tried to go back and I've been consistent and then largely off and then on again. And then out here recently, through another dad at my son's, my son's basketball team. He turns out he had just moved out here. And at the end of the season, I'm like, what do you do? And he is the pastor at this Christian church called Calvary Christian. And I went and saw him and he was just like this amazing, he gave these amazing sermons. And I was like, you know, you get goosebumps and teary eyed and you're getting the message from the Bible. So I've had this kind of resurgence, but I've always had always a spirituality and a belief in God and things bigger than myself. Um, and like a, a, a connectedness. Um, but and I'm just, I'm just trying to get to the, the gut part. Like when, when you feel it in your gut is, is that saying I have to do this? Is that saying, well, I'm going to do this and whatever happens happens. Like take me to when you get into that place where you're like, you know what, I'm going to take a leap or I'm going to trust my gut to quit the lacrosse team, to go to Italy, to try out for the play. Like you're giving me snippets of, of these types of things. Uh, things, things hit me. No, things come up. They come up. They come up. You know, I get flashes or, or, you know, conversation in my own head. You got to do this. You got to do this. I'll see something. I'll get excited. I'll get goosebumps. And usually because it's human nature, it's like a pain in the ass to change your track at all. It requires a lot of effort. I'm like, yeah, yeah, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'll put it off, put it off. But for whatever reason, that voice in me doesn't really go away. 
Or if it does, then that, that thing goes away. But if it keeps gnawing at me, if it keeps bugging me, eventually I'm like, shit, I got to do this. If I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. If I don't do it, it's almost like it's not even an option for me. And, um, and usually I'm really scared. All of those endeavors, I was really scared to jump off and make the leap. And usually, you know, my first acting teacher in New York, Terry Schreiber, used to say, if you have a role that you're really scared to play, that's probably a good one to play because you have so much energy holding you back from it. If you can break through that energy, you'll have a lot going toward it. So a lot of times it's the, it's the scariest choice is the one that ends up being the right one for me. And that's rough sometimes because you'll make that choice. You rah, rah, you break through the paper, run it out onto the field like, ah. And then it's like, then all of a sudden the crowd noises go away and everybody goes back to their life. And that thing that was like such a romantic decision, now you're doing it day to day. And sometimes that hammers you down, which is my career. I mean, I think the podcast came from me getting hammered down as an actor. To the outside world, they might have been like, oh, he's doing he's doing well. You know, he's getting stuff. They see him on TV all the time. But I was, my mindset, if I look where I was like before I started the podcast, which was two, a little over two years ago, and where it is now, it's like I've completely lit a fire within myself and gotten back to where I was in my head when I started, which was like, I was really dreaming big. And I think I got, you know, uh, I got pushed down a little bit, you know? Do you think about transitioning from a lacrosse player at a high level to becoming an actor? What were the similarities? What were the differences? You've hit on some of the similarities as far as the team and, you know, being in a locker room and then, you know, working with a team of people on a production site. Uh, what prepared you for acting from being an athlete and, and that identity? Yeah, I mean, there are similarities, like I was saying before, to sports and certainly to Division One lacrosse, where there are just obstacles in your way um, that you need to overcome. And there are, you know, it can be a long season. Uh, it can be, and, and, and th those, it's just like all of those cliches that you hear coaches say, they really, they kind of work for me. You know, I'm, uh, I, I still say my, my uh, freshman football coaches thing was, we had a field that was down below the junior high. And there was a hill to get down there. And when you go up the hill, he'd always say, nobody walks on the hill. And I just always, I always say that. And I always, I'll say it to my kids. Nobody walks on the hill. You know, there are things that you, he used to say when you were blocking someone, keep them chopping, keep them chopping, la, 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 la. You know, like that just, and that, that is, those things do apply to your life. They apply to your life as an actor because you get hit. And you got to get knocked down. And any entrepreneur really that's listening would understand that it's everybody gets knocked down, by the way. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. And that's what I've learned in this podcast. It's like I talk to all these different people. It doesn't matter what you do. The human experience is that you get knocked down and you have to get back up. As an actor, you probably get knocked down on a more regular basis than 
most other professions, except maybe a professional athlete, um, and except maybe an entrepreneur, I would think. Um, so those, that mindset that was developed through all of those years and then into college at the Division I level, it comes in handy. It comes in handy of just, of just, you know, when things get rough, when things get, you know, feel hopeless to know that, nope, it's okay. You had to dust yourself off, get back up, get back on the field and go. That's just, that's the job. Have you put any systems in place to handle the rejection so that you actually can use it? as an opportunity to use, I wondered if your dad had trademarked that line, given that he's a lawyer, but uh, I, it sounds like he hasn't because you're running with it. But have you created any systems or processes when you don't get a part that you really want to re rebound or respond quicker to that? And then the, the other part of this is I'm curious about your mindset before a big audition or before a big role or, or before a part, like any habits that you do to make sure that your mindset is where you want it to be. So the first part is uh, responding to the rejection. And the second question is what any priming that you do before you have to perform? Yeah. Um, responding to great questions, by the way, responding to rejection I've now started to be conscious of what it is because through this podcast, people are like, you should have courses on what you do. And I'm like, Oh, what do I do? You know, I'm trying to like break it down, but I guess I do have, I do have a few things. A lot of them are just, it's just an outlook on it, which is um, when you've been doing it for so long, one thing I've realized is when something comes up and it feels like it's such a big deal, Oh my God, I got to get this in. This is this, this role would change everything, you know, and you have that mindset, which is good. You got to be passionate about it. But when you don't get those things, there are times when it's like a week later and somebody mentions it and I'm like, wait, what, what audition was that? What was, you know, like there are times, like I just, I've managed to kind of put it out of my mind. And actually that guy, Pat Collins used to say he would go in for the audition. And when he would come out, he would take the sides and throw them in the garbage just as a, as a sign to his head that like he doesn't care anymore. If he gets it, he gets it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Like, I'm going to do what I do. You don't like it, boom. If it comes back, it comes back. Easier said than done, but I've managed to get better at detaching myself from the outcome. And as I've gone, oh. And I was, I was, and I gave you stacked questions. So I want to make sure we get to the other part of this, which is, and then as far as priming goes before an audition or before you have a role and you're about to, you know, the lights are about to turn on. Can you walk us through what sort of routines or tools or, or processes that you use so that you're yeah. not so outcome oriented, which you were just hinting on? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are some, there's like physical warmups to do and vocal warmups to do that just physically help you combat any stress or tightness. Um, so there, there are a lot of those. I don't always do them. Sometimes what's, what's happened is as you go along, you start to change your process a little bit. And, and one thing I've noticed in the last year or two, maybe, um, driving has been, drive, out here in LA, you drive to your auditions it's become this great prep time for me. And I, I don't know when exactly that happened, but I just kind of like 
drive and talk, you know, talk through it or speak in that accent or speak in a bunch of different accents, like just loosen myself, have fun with it, you know, sometimes do some screaming, sometimes do some like bah, bah, chest pounding and that kind of thing, but, but not always, just like have fun with it or walk. One thing that I learned in a class that kind of stuck with me that I thought was good, this teacher called it, um, she called it narrating the scene where it's like you're telling the scene as though it happened. So if I'm telling you about this, I'm like, yeah. So, so I walked into the room and I said, blah, blah, blah. And I say my dialogue. And then, and then, you know, uh, my teacher said, blah, blah, blah back to me. And then I said, blah, blah, blah. Then I walked over here and I did this and I'm like narrating it. And, and it's a way of almost like making it into a memory, but there's a loose, there's a loose quality that I've found in the last couple of years that has helped. I think my performance is in the room and it's, it's, it's just um, instead of gripping too tight, instead of like, you know, you know, I'm not like going over the lines like this. It's like more thinking of the situation and then also reminding myself of past wins and past things that I've done. And like, you know, cause a lot of times the thought is like, there's a thought in all of us. It's like, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And it's just like giving myself like, you know, there's one kind of, I don't know if it's a mantra, but it's a, something that comes through my head is like, why not me? Why wouldn't it be me? Like I did this. I was really good in this. I was really good in this. I was really good in this. I could do this, 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 and this. Why not me? Why is it going to be that guy? Why not me? I'm pretty good. You know? And it's just like, it's a, so I, I use a, a variety of different, you know, sometimes they are more that kind of, you know, I wouldn't say meathead sports ish, but like it is sometimes like I will have to physically like pound my chest to just get fired up. Like you're not going to take it from me. And then, and then sometimes it's just the looseness and having fun and, and, and I'll just, you know, connect, say, I'm going to go in, I'm going to connect with the people in the room and they're going to get Matt Del Negro's interpretation of this role. And they're either going to like it or they're not. It's either going to fit them or they're not, or they're going to really like it, but they already offered it to a bigger star. And so it doesn't matter. And so I've gotten, the more I've done it, the more I've know the system, the more I don't take it personally. I take the work personally because I have to be invested, but I don't take the, the results or the outcome as personally. It's not, it's, 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 it's about more things than I can control. And that's cool. As you get into this interpretation of the character, you said something earlier that stuck with me, which was at Boston College, I had this identity of a lacrosse player and uh, I had a nickname and I felt like I wasn't really living my truth. And I had this revelation as I had more space and some time to reflect that, wait a second, that's not me. And I started to transform and, you know, go in these nooks and crannies. You've now been acting for a while now. I'm curious throughout your career, have you ever felt that sort of questioning of your identity that you felt when you were a lacrosse player? Yeah, I think, I think that's what sparked the podcast. I, I felt like at a certain point, am I doing this because I still love it or am I doing this because I said I was going to do it? And what I came to was I love it, but I didn't love the way I was doing it. I didn't love the roles I was going in for or the way I was being seen. 
And so I made a conscious decision and I said to, and, and it cost me, I think, money in the short run, opportunities in the short run, but it's opened me up to something in the long run, which is I said to my uh, managers and, and agents, I said, I can't, I had a really good year and where I was working constantly, and, but I, but it didn't, it was all like guest stuff and recurring guest stuff and it's okay. It was good. It was great. But I kind of said, I need to change the game. I need to think bigger. This is not the guy. I am not, when I got into this, when I was like 22 or 20 or whatever, I did not imagine I was going to be the guy who's going in for like the guest spot on the, you know, crime procedural. That's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. I want to be, I want to get out of bed. Like, I love this. And if I'm going to do that, then I should just go work in some other job that's, you know, go work in finance. I know a lot of people do something like that, whatever it might be. Not that I could do that. I'm just saying, you know, something other than acting. And what I did was, I think I started saying no. I started saying no to guest auditions would come in and we'd say, no, offer only. Nope. He's not coming in to read for that. And people didn't give a shit. They're just like, okay. But somehow something changed and it changed in my mind. It changed in my reps minds. And it's just like I was getting control of my career in some way. Now it cost me because I didn't have as many auditions, but my life right now, I like it much better. I take a lot of time. I put it into my podcast, which is all building. And it's now leading to these crazy things I could not have foreseen when I started it, but it's all self-started. It's all, I, I got in the driver's seat. Whereas before it was like, Oh, Oh, I have an audition, you know, and I'm like scrambling and going across town. And I realized the other day, yesterday I had a meeting with the one of the heads of casting at, at CBS. And I had, I was across town. And I'm like, man, I haven't been here in a long time. I don't go out for as many auditions, but the ones I go out for are bigger. And when I get those ones, I'm working for like six months. So it's, it's fascinating, Matt. Like, when we talked about your podcast being called 10,000 No's, it was really the way I heard it from you was it's about being rejected over and over and over again as an actor and that we have to learn how to deal with failure and, and see it as an opportunity. But I never thought about it the way that you're talking about it, which is the, what are the possibilities that occur when we say no to the things that don't fill up our cup? And how can we leverage no for ourselves? Uh, the position of power when you're going in for an audition is not in your hands. You don't get to decide if you're going to get the role or not. Like you said, there's a lot that goes into who gets the role. And so you're, you don't have ownership. Uh, and what I've heard you say is through this podcast, you now are creating ownership in what success looks like for you. And God bless those people that want to do those, you know, for them, it might be financial reasons. And that's cool if they want to be on shows for financial reasons. Others might be doing it for fame. Yeah, so do I. There are plenty of times I'm like, I could use the money. I'm like, but I got to stick to it because in the long run, I think this is better, but go on. Sorry. So yeah. So can you define what success is to you? Like, how do you define success? I think... I feel like I just heard this somewhere, something like this. And I, I agreed. I can't remember where, but I, this is what I think. It's when you are happy with yourself and what you're doing when no one else is around. 
And I've felt that way lately. I, I feel like somehow right now at this particular moment, and it could always shift, but somehow I've, I've, I've jockeyed into position enough where, you know, I have, trust me, tons of challenges, tons of them. But I feel like in the area of going like, like, you know, I sit down with people now that I'm like, oh my God, I'm in awe of them. Or I live around people that I'm like, God, look what they've done. And I go, I have something too. I, I have something which is, I, I, I do what I love. I do what I love. And I always say I'd like to get paid more for doing what I love. And that's kind of the next step. But I really, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm very lucky in that my life now has somehow been designed in a way that the stuff that I get to do, even just sitting here talking with you, is like, I, this is great. I get to connect with people. I connect with people on a podcast. I connect with people when I'm working as an actor. I can get to connect with my family when I'm at home. You know, I uh, sometimes there's too much work and I'm doing too many of these things. So I'm not connecting enough with my family because I'm like, I got to do this. And that that's an issue. You know what I mean? You got to go, okay, finding, find, picking your moments. So I'm certainly figuring it out as I go. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, you could feel great one minute. And then like the next, it's like, boom. It could go, it could, it could kind of go away. But in general, I'm in a better pocket now than I was, say, three or four years or four years ago. I think it's a challenge that we all struggle with, which is when we ask people how they're doing, we often say, Oh, are you busy? Uh, and I'm sure in, in your world, it's all the time. Like, are you getting work? Right? Like, yeah. uh, how, how, <laughs> are you busy? And for me, uh, as I've gotten more experience with the work that I do, busyness is, is not success for me. Um, autonomy is way more valuable for me than busyness. By the way, I'm totally guilty of that, of being busy. I think now why I'm happier is the stuff that I'm busy with is more the stuff that I actually want to be doing, but I still need to clear away, need to clear away. You know, you could bring my wife in here and she'd be like, you need to do way less stuff. You know, like I'm, I have a bunch of things that I'm, I'm doing. And, uh, so yeah, it's like, what is the, that, that's, that's something that feels good right now. It, I feel like I'm, I'm more in alignment than I've ever been. You know, even the stuff that I'm doing that's seemingly not acting is, in weird ways, leading me back to acting and developing stories and the people I sit down with. It's all kind of, it's all kind of going in the same direction. You mentioned stories. What makes a great story? I think people go to a movie theater or a theater or turn the TV on to see themselves go through something. They want to go through something without going through it. So I think the great stories, whether they're a comedy or a drama, it doesn't matter. You know, there there can be different tones, but a great story will have enough truth in it that regardless of the tone, you can see yourself going through that journey and you can kind of vicariously live through that life 
that you're seeing and learn from it and move on without paying all of the costs of what that would take. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned connection earlier that when you go into an audition now, you're trying to connect with the character and then connect with the people you're auditioning for. How do you cultivate connection? Any, any thoughts on ways in which if connection is important to us as humans, how we can cultivate that? You're doing it right now. Be a great listener. You know, if you're, I, I, I say it, I interviewed this woman yesterday and she was really very kind at the end of it. And she said, you're very good at this. And I said, oh, look at all these questions I had for you. I basically, I have all the preparation, but I put it aside and just try to listen. And that's what, that's what you do as an actor too. When I said I connect with the, try to connect with the people in the room, when I'm more successful, not meaning get the job or don't get the job, but when I feel better walking out of an audition room is when I feel like I connected, I brought myself to it, I let them in, they let me in, I was curious. Um, I think that's, you know, that's uh, <laughs> the opposite of that happened the other day. I was going to a meeting, the guy I was meeting with, it was kind of a strategy meeting. He's like, you got to get a flip chart. I'm like, I don't know what a flip chart is. It's like, go, he's like, go to Staples. So I go to Staples and I'm kind of like, just going to get to this thing on time. So I get the thing, I go through, I find it right away and I get to the line. There's a woman in front of me like, oh, what are they doing over there? Like, it's just like going really slow. And I'm like chomping at the bit. And I wanted to be like, all right, can you move? You know, I was really in my mind. I was like, get out of the way, you know? And I thought, no, that's your fault for being that you need to get somewhere. They don't have to do that. Like, slow down, sit there, connect when you get up there and let them have their space. And I'm guilty of that. Like I said, if you try to do too many things, you could rush through everything. And it's still something that I struggle with. It's like saying no more, saying no more, saying no to things to clear up time, having more time for something than trying to, you know, get it right up to the edge. Uh, you know, you squeeze too many things in and then you can't fully expand in it. So now you're sounding like a true Californian and like someone from LA. And when I meet people from LA, there's a mindfulness that I feel uh, that I think exists in that city that is a little bit different. And I'm curious as I listen to you talk and you talk about space and you talk about sort of, hey, that not judging the person in front of you, it sounds very mindful. So I'm curious, do you have uh, any mindfulness techniques or breathing exercises that you leverage to make sure that your mind and body are as in sync as possible? I mean, you know, I guess probably, but I also think the mindfulness is actually just the way I was raised. I think, I think my parents are largely very, you know, um, good people that are like, you know, mindful of just, what's the word? Cause I don't want to say polite. That's different, but, but like conscientious. Yeah. It's not even conscientious. It's something, it's something like that, but it's, a, it's just kind of like, um, mindful. It's not, I, I don't know. The word is escaping me, but, but actually like genuinely like, you know, trying to to have the caring. other person have the yeah caring like having the other person's you know needs in in mind as much as your own so i, I feel like 
sure, I'm sure there are practices, you know, I mean, I, I walk, I walk my dog, I'll, I'll listen to podcasts, I'll listen, to, you know, like just a, a prayer or, or, or listening to things, whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, that, all of that stuff, but also just kind of, I think I was maybe trained in a way, I was trained to think of others in, in some way. And, you know, empathy, still, still empathetic, be, empathy, empathetic. That's, that's the word. Awesome. Uh, last question. And then we'll, we'll wrap. Do you feel closer to the way you were raised as far as who you are, like growing up in this rural area? Uh, do you feel like that's more uh, in alignment with your identity or now you're, you're in Los Angeles? It's, I'm assuming it sounds like you were talking about your kids, very different as far as how they're being raised and how you were raised. If you were to think about like who you are and um, what has helped shape you, is it, is it more LA? Is it more Westchester County? How do, how do you make sense of that? I would never admit that LA shaped me. Come on. <laughs> no. I've been say, there a while, haven't you? I have, have, I, you I have actually been there. Yeah. I've been here for like 14 years, but I would say, no, I would say, when I say that my kids have a different upbringing, just in that it's more, it's busier in a way. It's more social. It's more like not as, you know, boondocks-ish as I grew up. But I, I think there are many ways I'm like really similar to how I was when I was a kid. And I think there are other ways where I hope that I've evolved in some way. And I think a lot of it has to do with the stuff we're talking about, which is mindset and believing gradually. It's taken me a long time to go like, okay, why can't, uh, why can't I have that too? You know, there's a certain, we were talking about the Catholic background and everything. There's a certain thing of like, Oh no, not me, not me. I, I feel like I, one area where I've maybe started to shift a little bit is like, you can still be, you can, you can thrive and you can actually be more helpful to other people around you if you're thriving, as opposed to being like, no, 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 nothing for me, nothing for me, which is, has really slowed me down a lot. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm cool. No, no, I got it. I got it. I'll just do this and just shrink myself to make others around me comfortable or happy. And I think now I'm like, no, I think I'm going to be more useful to people if I kind of get, you know, I'm able to provide for myself and then help more people, you know? And I think that's a, that's a shift. I love it. This morning I was coaching a CEO and we were talking about selfishness and the CEO his whole life. He's also a military guy, actually a great guy to have on your podcast. We'll talk about that after, but, uh, he did about his whole life. It's always been in service and service and service. And um, now he's going to do something different and he's going to start something. And so we talked about being selfish so that you can be selfless and fill your cup and then let the overflow go to everybody else around you. And yeah. we talked about the gas tank, like is the gas tank on full or is the gas tank on empty? And how much are you actually serving those people if your gas tank's on empty? And yeah. so a lot of times we think we got to get the gas tank to be on empty when what would it look like if we actually just fill it up and then we can go from there. And so I love that you brought it up. It just connects with honestly, one of the conversations I was having with one of my clients this morning. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm still learning that lesson. Trust me. But um, 
You know what? Speaking of of uh, squeezing things right in, I do have to hop off. Um, so, so I love I'll, this conversation, though. So I want you to just promote the podcast. Where can people find it? Where can they find you on social media? And then we'll we'll close it up. Cool. Uh, the podcast is called 10,000 No's, like no in parentheses uh, and then plural. Um, you can find it. So 10,000nos.com is just 10000nos.com. And that could link you to like Apple Podcasts or whatever, but it's available Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that. Um, on on Instagram uh, is where I'm probably most active these days. That's at Maddie Dell, M-A-T-T-Y-D-E-L. Uh, Twitter and Facebook at Matthew Del Negro. Facebook, there's like a Facebook fan site or fan page um, you can find. And um, that's pretty much it. And if people want to email me, if they like this and they they, they have questions or you know, whatever, uh, they can email info at 10,000nos.com. Awesome. That pretty much covers it. Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And you can listen to all of these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Maddie D, Matthew, Matt, Del Negro, really appreciate it. And looking forward to many more intentional conversations in the future. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate it, man. You're very, you're very good at this. <laughs> I appreciate it. You are, man. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. That, that's, that's something that feels good right now. It, I feel like I'm, I'm more in alignment than I've ever been. You know, even the stuff that I'm doing that's seemingly not acting is in weird ways leading me back to acting and developing stories and the people I sit down with. It's all kind of, it's all kind of going in the same direction.